Hi everyone, my name is Darren Griffith and you're very welcome to the ninth episode of the LUSK Athletic Club podcast. Thanks as always for listening. Please like, share, follow and subscribe. So we have some really great guests on this episode. We talked to Katrina McKiernan about the marathon and self-care whilst training and racing. We also meet LUSK AC member and Dublin City Marathon pacer Gary Reinhardt. A reminder to check out previous episodes if you've missed some or are new to the podcast. Lots of interesting topics covered such as marathon training, strength and conditioning, women's health and running, which is our most popular episode to date, meet our young athletes and park run. Also a big shout out to club member Stephen Fee for two bronze medals in the National Senior Championships in Wait for Distance and Wait for Height throwing events at Morton Stadium and club members Emer McBride for a silver medal in Javelin, Mary McKenna for a bronze in pole vault, Megan Seaton for a silver in pole vault, and Conor McGuirk for a gold in the 3000 meters, all in their respective age categories at the National Junior Championships in Tullamore. So let's start with Julie Griffith's interview with Katrina McKiernan. We're delighted to have one of the genuine greats of Irish athletics and endurance running on our podcast. It's a real coup for our club podcast to have such an esteemed guest. Amongst her many accolades, Katrina is a four times world cross-country silver medalist, a three times marathon winner at Berlin, London and Amsterdam, and to this day retains the female Irish marathon record of 2.22. And what's more, she set this record before carbon-plated runners existed back in 1998, so that's a record she's held on to for 25 years. Having retired from competitive running in 2004, she now works as a motivational speaker and coach. So Katrina, you're very welcome on our podcast. Thank you very much, Julie. Delighted to be here. And I suppose before we start, there's one little thing that I would like to just change in that introduction. About yeah, go the, ahead. I suppose the marathon record. Um, Sinead Diver um, ran, has run 2.21, so she is running faster than me. So in my eyes, Sinead has the Irish marathon record. Uh, I know she runs and lives in, runs for Australia and lives, lives in Australia, but uh, she's a girl from the west of Ireland and uh, it has, it's a phenomenal achievement for her at her age to be able to run that fast. Okay, super. Um, so can you just tell us a little about uh, Katrina in 2023, what life looks like for you now? Yeah, so it's, look, it's, it's enjoyable. I do a lot of running classes uh, with different groups and they're mainly just with people that like to run for fitness and for well-being and anything from 5k to marathon runners. And I meet, you know, a wide variety of people and uh, it's very relaxed and very, very enjoyable, I must say. Yeah, okay. So what kind of like a typical day look like for you now? Yeah, well, I have classes every day. It could, it could be individual classes. It could be a class with uh, a company or it could be a group session or it could be all. And, yeah. you know, it could be all three in the one in the one day. But it doesn't it's not it doesn't feel like work because I love being out in the fresh air. Uh, I love running and yeah. I just love meeting people and helping people. Yeah, brilliant. And tell us about your, your family. Are there runners in your family too? Are your kids into running? So Jerva, she's 21 and we live beside Phoenix Park here and she likes to go for runs in the park and but she doesn't like to compete as of yet anyway. And yeah. Patrick is 17 and uh, just a 17-year-old boy. Uh, <laughs> we say no more, he's fine with his way. <laughs> 
but uh, he, you know, he would be active and fit if he wanted to. But you know, the go-through stages, and um, you know, he, he's fine. He's 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 good. Yeah, yeah. So sometimes when we're going about running too much, there it's, it almost has the opposite effect. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah. And look, they all they have their own lives and they do their own things. And uh, look, as long as they're kind and not nice to people, that's the most important thing. And as long as they're healthy. Yeah, that's it. That's it. And um, so, yeah, it would be great to kind of get get a bit of insight into taking us back to that moment in 1998 when you had your well record breaking up until maybe recently uh, marathon in Amsterdam. Just can you remember remember the race itself and a bit about how you felt throughout? Yeah, so the preparation had gone really, really well um, and there was pacemakers organised for the race because I was actually going for the world record that day and the weather turned out not to be so kind to us. It got windy and wet during the race. I felt great throughout the race, as I said, and I just had faith in the pacemakers that they would bring me across the finish line in world record time, but they slowed down with about five miles to go and I didn't, I wasn't wearing a watch I don't even think that day I was just going with whatever pace they were going to run at I was going to stick with them and unfortunately we were 90 seconds outside the world record um, which was a pity looking back I really think I could have done it that day because yeah. I didn't feel, feel unduly tired I just had my trust in the pacemakers that they were doing their job properly uh, but that wasn't to be Oh, it's, it's frustrating, just 90 seconds, it was so close. <laughs> yes, and the fact that I felt so well, so good during yeah. it, I know yeah, that I, yeah. could have, I could have definitely pushed it, pushed it on, but um, yeah, that's, that's life. Now, what do you think gave you the edge over other competitors that day to come in as the first female? Well, look, that's something you're born with, isn't it? And uh, I had talent for running as well, that always helps, but... I had the ability to push myself beyond that pain threshold and I think that's at any level that's what you need the ability to push yourself beyond the pain or I don't even like to call it pain but the discomfort and Mm. obviously with the training I gained great confidence with training once you're confident you get fitter and once you're confident as high you can compete against anybody and really for me it was the the training knowing that I had left no stone unturned knowing that I had trained as hard as I possibly could and then all there was for me to do then on the day in any race was to run as best as I possibly could and to do my best and I knew uh, once I crossed the finish line in any race that I couldn't have run a step further and that is you know that is consoling in itself and I wouldn't have really gotten very nervous before races because I always had that in my mind that I was going to do my very best and you know you can talk about it in many many different ways and I have been reading a lot on sports psychology but at the end of the day that's the way I sum it up train as hard as you possibly can yeah. Um, prepare as best as you possibly can and then on race day run as fast as you possibly can and it's you know it's as <laughs> simple it's as simple as that yeah yeah but it does sound like that you know that confidence element that sort of the mental aspect of it you were very strong on not just the physical yeah yeah and you have to be uh, it's because you know running 26 miles or indeed any race whether it's a mile or a, or a 10k you have to be um 
psychologically strong as well. But for me, that came with preparation. Yeah. It's, it's, like, it's neither one or the other. You can't be psychologically strong and, and not physically strong. But uh, just looking back, once I was physically strong, once I had done the miles, once I'd done all the preparation in the way that I wanted to do it, then the psychological part just came very, very easy to me. Yeah, yeah. And you said that the training had gone very well. Um, you know, that was, you know, that was a good 25 years ago. So, you know, how, how would the training differ? You know, would have, how would it have differed back then? Or would it be similar to how people train today for marathons? Yeah, I'm sure it's, it's uh, fairly similar. I'm sure there are some changes as well. But at the end of the day, we can use all this fancy term terminology and gadgets and all of that sort of thing but at mm. the end of the day as i said you just have to get out and do the mileage yeah and okay i was doing 110 miles a week in preparation for the marathons so you know once you get can get a series of a good block of training in then you're going to be strong then you're going to be able to to do your best but um there's many ways to do it as well you know there's many yeah. different training schedules and it's yeah. all about it's all about doing as much as you possibly can without breaking down yeah yeah okay that's a good way of putting it um so i've heard you describe yourself as very competitive on, on another podcast i think i listened to um so how have you coped with retiring from competitive running i think you were about 34 is that right yeah when i yes i suppose you never really really retire but i did you know i stopped uh and yeah, at the time it wasn't a big challenge because I had the children and they were very, very young and mm. they were my that's what I thought, but that was my that was my job then and it was a very enjoyable part of my life when the children were young and seeing all the different stages of them growing up. So it didn't really hit me that I wasn't competing mm. and it wasn't until they got a little bit older then and they were more independent uh, that I really missed the running then. And, you know, different circumstances happen in your life as well. And I felt yeah. that I needed the running back again. So yeah. I started running just, you know, local races and that was very, very enjoyable. It was at a different level, but at the same time, I was able to push myself and get that feeling of, of giving the body a good push. And yeah. it was a great feeling of satisfaction. And again, it was out meeting people, like-minded people and just winning different local races and that. So it was, there was a good buzz from that. But look, you have to be realistic and you have to accept. I think that for me, that's the strongest word in the English dictionary is acceptance. And mm. once you accept circumstances in life that maybe that you're not happy with and you know that's success in itself yeah okay so what sort of running do you do uh, nowadays what uh, sort of distance do you run and when do you find the time to run for yourself as well yeah so uh, I like to go out and just do half hour runs I don't do anything more than that and the reason for that is because I have a lot of mileage in the body at this stage and I want to keep what I have and I'd like to be able to do that until I'm very very old so I don't want to push the body and I just love doing that short distance and feeling good doing it and yeah. not, not getting very tired and also the fact that I do so many classes and workshops with groups of people I want to be fresh and I want to give them lots of attention so I need to save my energy for them. Yeah, yeah, that's very good. Yeah, so I suppose, like, tell us how you've seen the world of athletics, particularly running, change since nineteen ninety eight. So, what do you think is, you know, better in twenty five years later in twenty twenty three? 
I suppose the, possibly the athletes nowadays have a lot more support and there's, you know, there's the diet is taken into consideration more, the the psychology, uh, the training, the recovery, all of that sort of thing. I think back when I was running, it was do as much as you possibly can, but they're a little bit more sensible now in in the recovery, which is important. Yeah. And um, you know, there there would be the positive things. Uh, I suppose yeah. the negative things would be the the carbon fiber shoes. I'm not. Yeah so sure about that really it's I suppose an advantage and it gives people and look at they're all wearing it so it's it's a level playing field but at the same time I think it's a little bit over the top uh, I know the athletes have to train very very hard and they do train very very hard but at the same time they're getting a little bit of an advantage and it's not sour grapes on my my part it's just that it takes the um, it, it's, it's just not so natural. It's for me. It's a little bit more of a business and money orientated. And yeah. you know, I don't mind the shoe companies having good shoes, but when they put in something into the shoe that makes them run faster, it doesn't make a whole pile of sense, to be honest. But it's nothing you or me is going to change, and it is as it is now. So we have to accept it. That's it. And if everyone else is doing it, then it's hard to not not do it then, I suppose. That's true. But just because everybody else is doing it doesn't mean that it's still right. Yeah, no, no, that's a good point. It's a good point. I'd be interested because you, you mentioned earlier on uh, that you didn't wear a watch at the time when you'd run the marathon. Would you have worn a watch, do you think, in hindsight? Well, yeah, um, I suppose... I did a lot. I did most of the, all of the training by myself, and I had this inner clock. If you can understand what I'm saying about that, I would have trained under a heart rate monitor all the time. So I knew, and it's, it is a little bit difficult to explain it, but I knew what pace was good for me, whereby that a pace that I could sustain. And I'm talking about in any distance. So yeah. I had gotten to the stage whereby I knew what it felt like rather yeah. than rather than looking at, at the clock or the watch. Yeah, okay. And um, again, that's, it's a good ability to have that because it means that you don't really blow up in that you're able to, like, to keep that pace. And it's a pace that I would have trained at a, at a, a lot, so I was very, very familiar with it. Uh, I would have always trained with, with the heart rate monitor. And I suppose from the very, very start, I went in, when I started running initially, I went into Trinity College and Bernard Dunn and Professor Myra O'Brien tested me on the treadmill. And yeah. it was, it, we always worked from heart rates and I had three different heart rate zones. And in actual fact, the most important one was the easy heart rate because yeah. it was my nature to want to run fast all the time. And if you do that, you're never going to recover. And so it meant that on the easy days, I ran easy at the heart rate that I had to, so that mm-hmm. I was rest, rested enough to run on the days that I had to run hard. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's how you get the progression. And that's the important thing. Like, you know, some athletes, they don't run easy enough, and then they're not, not able to push it on the days that they're meant to push it because they're not rested enough. So, yeah. um, and I, as I said already, I felt that that heart rate training gave me a good sense of what paces I should be running at. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And, and, and you know, I'm ra- I'm racing at so that you know, you, I knew when when to. And I'm just I'm not just talking about like even in five k races, ten k races, cross country races. I knew when 
when to hold back and then knew when to push. Yeah, yeah. So what, I suppose, um, what did you learn you know, in the when you were competing, that you would kind of what knowledge would you would you or advice would you give to younger athletes today? Yeah, so there's a few things there in that you need to be patient. It takes a little bit of time to, you know, to build a big aerobic base and yeah, to surround yourself by, with good energy, positive people, um, to. It does take hard work, there's no doubt about it, but to realise that it's only for a very, very short period of your of your life mm. and you need no stone unturned to work, you know, work really, really hard so that you can get the most out of yourself, whatever that is, and yeah. not to compare yourself to others, that's important. Yeah. Uh, you do, and it is, you know, you have to be a little bit selfish because it is an individual sport mm. and you have to look out for yourself. Um, but, you know, and get advice then from older athletes that have been through the system and, you know, what, because we all make, make mistakes. I made plenty of mistakes along the way and you don't want, you know, you want to share your, 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 your mistakes and the things that you did right with people, with, with the, the generation of the athletes nowadays so that they don't make the same mistakes. Yeah, and, yeah. yeah to, to enjoy the journey and I suppose not to... You know, to, to see where you are at at the present moment in time and to realize where you want to go and to be committed to put in that work to achieve the things that you want to achieve and to set your goals and work towards achieving them in an enjoyable way and in, in a, I suppose, steady progression. And not to think too much about the destination, but mm. uh, to enjoy the process of it. Yeah, yeah, because I think you know there are a lot of runners out there who you know are disappointed if they don't get the time or a PB or whatever. You know, what would you say to those runners? Yeah, well, there's always plenty of races, and the thing is to you know to be sensible in your training. To you know, if something isn't working for you, just don't keep repeating that. You know, if it's constantly not working for you, you know, you need to change something in your training. And I suppose not to beat yourself up over it either. You know, just to do your best. And once you do your best, and that's something I always felt great comfort in. Once you do your best, that's all that can be asked. Once you know that you give the preparation 110% and then that you give the race 110%. Once you do that, you're going to be content. You're not going to be upset. Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. Um, so, yeah, a lot of our um, club runners are well into their Dublin City Marathon training at the moment. And, you know, across the groups, well, there's probably about five or six groups, you know, there's some might be aiming for a sub three, some might be aiming just to complete it. Um, you know, what would be the kind of top two to three tips that you feel would apply to runners of all ages and abilities in terms of their training for the marathon? Yeah, well, it's something similar to what we spoke about there with any athlete is to have a plan yeah. and to follow follow that plan. But again, it's not cast in stone. It might say on the plan for a certain day to run 10K, but you might be feeling really, really exhausted that day. Just to drop it, take a day off. Don't be afraid to take a couple of days off. There's more benefit in doing that rather than running on a tired body. And yeah. then don't compare yourself to others because everybody has different circumstances and some people can take more of a workload than others. Yeah. And to enjoy the journey of it, that's, that's important. And um, get plenty of rest 
allowed the body to recover because it is a big ask, you know, yeah. doing those long, long runs. It's, 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 it is a challenge. And uh, I always say to people as well, okay, so October weekend, bank holiday weekend, from here on in, try to do as little, only do what you have to do as regards work and family commitments and all of that sort of thing. Uh, you can do all of that afterwards. There's plenty of time. So, you know, make sure just to get your your running done, your training done and get as much recovery as possible. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So how 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 long before the race can you take it easy? <laughs> yeah, well look at your last long run as we all know is three weeks beforehand. But yeah. you know, certainly in the last ten days you're really, really tapering off. You're just doing some jobs just to keep the body and the mind uh, yeah. content. But all the hard work is done at that stage. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it is a huge commitment. And I think, you know, alongside the mileage that you have to complete each week, there's, you know, a lot of plans that will talk about the importance of strength conditioning or cross training. You know, what's your opinion on on how important that is, you know, particularly for busy, you know, parents or, or people at work that, you know, might be really struggling even to fit the runs in at this point? Yeah. You know, at this stage, just I would say just focus on your running. There's possibly no need to be doing strength and conditioning at this stage because um, you're doing so much running. Mm. Uh, you can't do everything. And yes. just, um, just you know, just fit in the running, do what you can do and get as much recovery as you possibly can. And, you know, cross training and all of that sort of stuff, there's a time and a place for that. But now you need to be, you know, you're running a marathon, so now you need to be running. Don't be wasting your energy on, on anything else. Should we also be taking into consideration other circumstances like older runners, um, maybe people who have other conditions that might cause a bit of fatigue or, you know, perimenopausal, menopause, so many other issues that can impact on how people feel about and how, how much people commit to a training program? Should we be taking those into consideration as well? Yeah, well, of course, the body is going to tell you, isn't it? If you're if you're tired, uh, you're going to have to pull back. And yeah, there's. But I find with a lot of people who have started running later in life, uh, it's just a new lease of life for them, and they haven't much mileage in the body, and they're. It's phenomenal, actually, how much they're able to do, and um, you know. But be sensible and. You know, we've mentioned it a couple of times already, not to be comparing yourself to others because some people can, as I said, take more of a workload than others and do what you do what you can do and be content in doing that. And, yes. you know, you, you, you do have to put in the work. There is no doubt about it, but mm. you can get the recovery and just enjoy the process of it, as I said, because that can mentally make you feel better in yourself that you know that you're enjoying this and whatever it takes if it means that you know if you if you like running with other people for all your runs make sure to organize so that you have other people which is so that that distracts you and just have little things to look forward to and even when you're out on long runs and that the mind can begin to play games and these mm. negative thoughts can come into your mind and it's important to catch them because okay can materialize and the outcome might not be so nice so you know it's important just to recognize them first of all and just think of them as thoughts and try to change them so that you don't go down that rabbit hole 
Yeah. Any strategies for that? Because I, I think that is a huge issue, you know, particularly as the mileage goes up each week that, you know, if you get into your head that you're tired or you're something, you know, your legs are tired, <laughs> it's quite difficult to get out of that spiral. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And that's why I'm saying if you have somebody to run with and chat to, uh, that can distract you. And also just, you know, as we said, just don't entertain them. I know that's easier said than done, but realize that the, you know, that the, the mind is trying to play games and, yeah, and just change them. Think about something that somebody said to you yesterday or something that's nice that you're going to do tomorrow. And just think of it as a process and think that they are natural as well. Even the most elite athletes in the world, they get these negative thoughts. Mm. And But it's important not to beat yourself up over them and just... Uh, Stay soft like yourself. It's great to be able to do this. I'm really looking forward and to try and feel the sensation of when you're running in the marathon and all the support that you're going to have and crossing the finish line and how you're going to feel. You know, try and think of those things instead. And for me, what I used to think of was my family at home watching and all the people in the area and uh, indeed the people around the around the country, all my support. Uh, and that really distracted me. And that really, you know, that was a great driving force for me. And got me to the finish line and also we don't like to feel disappointed in you know we don't do our best we feel disappointed in ourselves and that's not a nice feeling and yeah for me I was able to overcome that in the sense that I didn't want to feel like that obviously a couple of times I didn't run well in a race and uh, it's a horrible feeling and I didn't want to experience that feeling again so you know I, I made sure that I <laughs> ran myself into the ground so that I knew that I did my very very best so I didn't experience yeah. that feeling of, of not doing my best so you know just do your best and enjoy the process of it that's really really it yeah and try and turn the negatives into positives and absolutely back to your mind <laughs> yes yeah you know that is very very important I have a nice saying my mind is a garden my thoughts are seeds I can grow flowers or I can grow weeds so um, it's important not to, but again, as I said, it happens and, you know, the best in the world have negative thoughts. You're not going to stop them, but try to control them a little bit better. So, yeah, we've been on your website, runwithkatrina.ie. Um, can you tell our listeners a bit more about the work that you do now? Yeah, so I do running workshops with groups of people uh, and then I do... Uh, evening classes and I do running classes with companies and I do individual classes and it's all very very enjoyable yeah yeah so it's a great mix of it's a great mix yes yeah yeah and look at the end of the day most people are out running for that feeling of well-being that feeling of confidence that running gives you and there's so many events on even from the park run to Mm. In case half marathons, marathons, and running is you know, there's so many people running now, and even the, the park runs are a great way, and gotten a lot of people into running, and it's a great social occasion. Um, meeting up with, with friends, and um, yeah, it's it's you know, you can't beat it, it's 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 nice and, and simple and nice and enjoyable. And I, I, in particular, meet great people along the way. Yeah, yeah, brilliant. And you also run workshops on the chi running? Yeah, so basically what that is, is showing people good mechanics for running to make running easier on themselves so there's less impact on their body. And um, again, that's with, with all the different groups. First of all, 
it's I start with the posture and get people into good posture and then we talk about landing how to land more efficiently so there's again so that you're not putting pressure on the calves on the shins on the knees a lot of people when they're running the heel strike they reach out in front of their body okay. and that's like running with the brakes on so I get people to draw the stride back in underneath them rather than reaching mm. forward and so that they're not creating a heel strike and this takes a lot of pressure off the calves and the shins the lower legs and prevents those running related injuries like shin splints and calf strains and achilles problems and knee pain and uh, then we talk, talk about when you're running you know you want to have the spine straight but at the same time you don't want to be back in a back position, you want to have your center of mass ahead of your foot strike. Okay. So that, yeah. so that your whole body is just falling ever so slightly as a unit from your ankles so that you're working with gravity in your favor. Yeah. And I, I use a nice image. Imagine, pick a pint ahead of you, 60, 80 meters ahead of you, and imagine from your sternum, imagine there's a bungee cord pulling you forward so that you're more falling into your running rather than being a, in a back upright position and reaching forward with your legs. And again, this takes an immense amount of pressure off your legs. Okay, great. Yeah, so, so posture, landing, uh, working with gravity in your favor. And then, you know, a simple thing like using your arms. Some people don't use their arms when they're running. They think that if they use their arms that they're wasting energy. But we want to think of the body as a balanced machine with all the individual parts working together as a unit. So yeah. when, you're, when you're running on a flat surface, you need to have your arms at 90 degrees and the hand comes back as far as the hip, the elbow comes forward to the hip. So it's a little bit more of a behind swing than what you're used to. But holding the arms at 90 degrees, a short arm swings much easier than a long arm. And yeah. then going, up, going uphill, then we, talk, we, we practice some uphill running. And what you need to do there is... Again, the hill is coming at you, so you want to fall into it. You want to attack it. So, again, allowing that whole body to fall as a unit from the ankles. And keeping the feet underneath you again. Don't reach forward. But the arm swing is from your hips up to your chin. So, if you can imagine, you're giving yourself an undercut. So, you're yeah. getting the upper body to help you to propel you up the hill. Uh, really, yeah. using, really, really using your arms to, to get you up. And then a key thing just to remember coming downhill, we have a tendency to come back into an upright position and reach forward with the legs. And that puts a lot of pressure on the knees and the quads when you do that. So it's important, again, to keep that short stride underneath the body. And, you know, again, have your center of mass ahead of your foot strike. So that's... The ground, you feel the ground moving by underneath you as opposed to hitting it hard. Very good. Well, we've we've got training tonight and then Thursday. So I'll be thinking about the bungee yeah, yeah. tonight. And then yeah. we've got hill, hill training in Argyllon on Thursday. So I'll be trying oh, to yeah. get those techniques into practice. Plenty of good hills in Argyllon for sure. That's, there's no doubt about that. They'll make you very, very strong. Absolutely. Trying to keep relaxed while you're running as well. You know, when you're holding tension, you're restricting the oxygen supply to the muscles and they become sore and tired and achy. So it's important to scan your body, starting with your face, 
relaxing your face. If you tighten your face, if you clench your face, your it tightens up around your hips, believe it or not. So you want to start smiling while you're running and keep the shoulders down and relaxed and the upper back and the middle and lower back and the ankles and lower legs. Like I say to people, limp, loose, lower legs. So mm, rather okay. than holding tension. And in actual fact, the more you relax, the longer and the faster you're going to be able to run. So when you're yeah. holding tension, you're really you're really working against yourself. So yeah, yeah. You know, everything nice and free and loose and open. That sounds like great tips. We'll definitely have to get over to one of our training sessions uh, for, for some tree running. Um, so have you been watching the World Championships? Have you been glad yes, to oh, Absolutely, yes. Yeah, no, it's great. Um, I actually record, record them and... Uh, play it back then because sometimes I'm not I'm not here to, to watch them when they're live so um I, and I like doing that because uh, some of us don't like just some of it I, I like to fast forward as well and just watch the watch the races rather than the kind of the preparation beforehand and the all the talking about it so uh, but no it's 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 really enjoyable to watch yeah and there's great representation from Ireland as well which is great to see some fantastic results as well Yes, yeah, and you know, I think more more now than ever, we have a lot of lot of, there's a lot of very very good athletes, not just in middle distance, but in the sprints as well, and yeah. that can only be a good thing because uh, you know success breeds success. Yeah, yeah, and would you have an insight into how they must be feeling at before, you know at that point when they're racing or before the race? Absolutely, yeah. That's why, to be honest, I don't really like the <laughs> watching just them being brought out onto the track and and the introduction part. Just just get the race going because for me, when I was racing, that's what I wanted. I just wanted to get going because, uh, yeah, of course you're going to be a little bit nervous beforehand, and every single one of them that's lining up there is feeling the is feeling the nerves, feeling the pressure, and you know, with social media now, it's there's so much more pressure. And it's it's difficult for athletes because there's no hiding space. And uh, but again, some athletes thrive on it. And like everything in life, we have a choice. And I'm sure some of them choose not to entertain it, particularly leading up to major championships like that, because it can be very draining and can be very pressurizing. So that's another thing that they have to entertain. And that's another new thing that would be different to when I was competing. Any final parting words of advice for our listeners before we... Yeah, so, um, look, I think we've covered it already to enjoy the journey. That's, you know, and to be thankful that uh, you're healthy enough to be able to train and, you know, to leave no stone unturned, regardless of what level you're at. Get the most out of yourself because uh, it's only for a very short period of time. Really work hard. Obviously, at the elite level, you know, really, really work hard and... uh, But it is important to enjoy it because when you you enjoy it, it makes it much, much easier. Yeah, yeah. Brilliant. Well, listen, thank you so much. We really appreciate you spending the time to talk to us on our podcast. So thank you so much. Thanks very much. It's been very enjoyable. So that was a really fascinating interview with Katrina McKiernan. I have added the website link for Run With Katrina in the episode notes, so do check it out. Next up, Colin Wall's interview with club member Gary Reinhardt. Good afternoon, Gary. Uh, delighted you could join us for a chat today. Um, it's been a long time coming. Uh, 
So you're a very well-known and popular runner around Lusk and Dublin. Um, so for those who don't know you, could you uh, start by telling us a little bit about yourself? Um, I'm in Lusk 19 years. Okay. And then, as everyone knows, Fiona is my wife. Uh, she's a, a really active member of the club. Yeah, very popular. Yeah, very, very popular. I, I kind of actually have a, a new name for her. She's called the Racing Reinhardt because it seems to me she's doing a bloody race every weekend. Yeah, yeah. She's the nicest of the Reinhardts, really. She, yeah, she would be the most pleasant of the Reinhardts, yeah. Uh, and then the offspring, then you have Connor. Uh, he's an ex club member. Okay. He joined uh, the Gag Club instead. Okay. So right. he's, he's still active, you know, but yeah. in a different way. And then Owen, then the youngest, is uh, still in the club, loving it. Right, lovely. And he's also playing for, for Lusk United. Why and is for, he? Uh, Owen is like 10. Oh, right. Um, so you're very well known for doing um, marathons. How many marathons have you done now, Gary? Uh, well, I've, I've reached the objective of running 100 marathons. So I've kind of officially stopped counting them. Uh, but I think I'm at around 114. 114. So maybe um, you might take us back to the start. <clears throat> when did you start running and what was the motivation? And Okay. What kept you going when, you, when it all began? That's a good one, actually, because uh, a lot of lads in work noticed that, that I used to be a bit of a, a, bit of a um, tubby fella back in the day. I was, like, tipping 18 stone. Right. And I was dying to run, but terrified. Well, dying to do something that involved getting fit, but terrified. I thought that, like, bringing the dog for a walk was, was good enough. Uh, it clearly wasn't because I was eating rings around myself and I was drinking pints to beat the band. So uh, this would have been around 2011 and I knew something had to be done, you know. So uh, we were, I remember we were going on holidays to America and I was like, there's no way I'll be able to start running in Ireland because I was mortified that anyone seen me. Was it the, sh was it the shame factor because you were too big? The size of me was huge. Mm. Uh, and also, I'm like really tall, so like I'm nearly six foot four. So like, yeah, you're unavoidable to yeah. Exactly, exactly. So I went to America and uh, I got like the real cheesy running gear. Like I, I was, I looked like Homer Simpson that time he took up running. You know, <laughs> I looked ridiculous. But I was in America. I was away from from people I knew, and I ran like a mile the first day, and, and I thought I was gonna bleed and die. Uh, so I did that for the duration of the holiday. And I came every day home. or pretty every... much every day, yeah, pretty much every day. Didn't think I was I was cut out for it because uh, I just couldn't get the breathing right. I mm. couldn't get out, and I was like, oh. But then I got home and I had to wait until it was night time to go running. I didn't want anyone seeing me, so I waited until it was dark. Right. And I'd go out in a tracksuit top and I'd huff and puff around the ring road. It was very embarrassing. But uh, no, I got once I got into the, a, a kind of a routine, it was. There had to be, my sister was always on to me. Now, I, I credit her and, and her partner, Ivy, for, for kind of getting me into the running. Right. For encouraging me and stuff. You know, they were the ones who were saying, like, you know, you have to, if you're running like this, you have to maybe do a race. So I was like, well, what race can I do? And they were like, well. Like, give yourself a goal? Or, yeah, have or something, something to do. Yeah. So I think it was a few months. This, this would have been, like, late 2011. And then into, into early... 2012, there was that the Great Ireland Run was on 10k Phoenix Park. Yeah, I said I'll do that. I did that with Fiona actually. Me and Fiona did that, uh, and then we we I did there was a half marathon coming up then in Bohemian. I did that 
dressed in like I wore a jumper or something ridiculous. <laughs> and I remember like I was. You hadn't, I was got, just, you, hadn't got, you hadn't got into the proper gear or anything. I was, literally, I was not uh, dealing with what I, I, I mean, towel and socks. And, and, and they made me, I was running with my sister and Ivy, her partner. And they made me carry this big, huge water bottle, and oh, I didn't, I didn't drink it the whole time. I just carried it the whole time. <laughs> it was head full. And so, so you like, are you were you starting to run regularly then? I was, or? yeah, I was running regularly then, and I did, I had no idea about pace. I had no idea about like time goals, or I just ran. And, were you and, still doing the night running, or no? At this stage now, I was, I was kind of, I was getting myself a little were bit out, bit of confidence, you know, yeah. but putting the miles in. Uh, but no, because I had something to do, I had a, I had a, a purpose, you know, so yeah. once I did that half marathon, I was like, well, that was me, and I had the, had the bug, so my sister kept on saying, right, it's a marathon next, and I'm like, hang on a second, marathon is a big, big leap yeah. from and a half. Could you, uh, what do you remember about your first marathon experience then? And that would have been, what, what happened? Dingle. 2012, that was my first one. Nice, easy one to start um, with. I, I had no idea. I had no idea what easy or difficult was. I didn't even know what, like, I didn't understand about how, like, running up hills was tough. Or I just ran. I just went out and ran. And I remember that first one was... Uh, Who'd you do with? I ran on my own. Right. Uh, but I had, we'd, we'd, we'd rented a, a little cottage. And, and at the time, I had a guy from work that was running with me. Uh, Carl Harris and, and me and him like used to we'd travel to a few we used to do a few races together and he was faster than me you know so I remember just being nervous uh, yeah I was terrified like I didn't know I didn't know what to do you know I was like yeah you know, like, like at the start line I was like do I go to the front <laughs> do I go to the back where do I go you know, so and did uh, you have what did you like? Did you have a plan? Did you have gels? I, what were we going yeah, to eat? Anything? See, don't forget, I had I had my sister and I had her fella, right? So Ivy was an ultra marathon runner. Now, right, all throughout my uh, like fat years, as I called them, I knew he was a, an ultra marathon runner, but it meant nothing to me because you know a marathon or an ultra marathon or whatever distance, it mattered nothing to me. It was mm. all just a number to me. Yeah. So he, I'd be hearing about his big races and pff, never. I never batted an eyelid, but yeah. that day in Dingle, there was a 50 mile race on as well. And he ran the 50 mile. And I, I remember coming over the finish line and, and he was, he finished shortly after me. I think they had a different start time or whatever. And I was like, I was delighted with what I'd done, but I remember just looking at him going, this is bloody Superman here. And, yeah. and here's my little medal for me marathon. And, and this Superman has ran 50 bloody miles. And you know? how, did your, how, was your, how did your first marathon go? Like So I ran, he was at the telling me before to stick with the pacers, right? So I didn't even know what a pacer was. But, but I remember, like, I was running maybe the first two miles or three miles or whatever, and I, I came across these guys with balloons. Mm. They were the four-hour runners, the four-hour marathon runners, uh, pacers. So I ran with them, and I remember they were trying to talk to me, and I had, like, earphones in, and I, I refused to speak to them. I was, like, <laughs> I, just, I was just concentrating on not dying. I was like, yeah, just keep going. And... and I didn't know, but I didn't start at the same time as them. I don't know, at the start line, whatever, whatever they may have started ahead of me. Oh, yeah, you would have caught up to them probably. Yeah, so yeah. I, I didn't understand that. When I, when I saw them coming towards the finish, I was like, they were ahead of me. And I was like, oh, no, I'm not going to get four hours. You know, right, but yeah. I was worrying for nothing. So I came over the finish line, like, nearly dead. Three hours and fifty-four minutes, and I was oh, well under. Not <laughs> worrying for nothing. Like. That's a great effort for the for your first. Uh, it was great for your yeah. first run. Yeah. Um, now you've done, 
you say, what, 114 now? 140. Can you remember um, what your favourite marathon is and, and why why it is? Oh, well, gee, well, back then when, when, I, when I started, uh, like, there wasn't as many, like, there's a lot of marathons now kind of popping up everywhere, right? Mm. All over, especially all over Ireland, like, you know, smaller marathons. But I always thought if you, to travel to a marathon was the, was the thing, you know, and I could never qualify for bloody London or any of them. So I remember going, I'd love to do Amsterdam. Yeah. And I kept on thinking, someday I'm going to run Amsterdam. Like, it's only Amsterdam, do you know what I mean? But yeah. I was like, I'd love to run it. So finally then a few years ago, only a few years ago, I finally got to run it. It was, it was, was it the year 2019? I think it was. And yeah, it was, it was beautiful. It was everything that I kind of expected it to be. Right. Like Amsterdam is beautiful. Parkland and, and you run along this gorgeous canal. It like, goes right really, out. Well, it's, it's a very small city, so it probably goes right out from around the countryside, doesn't it? It goes out around a little bit of country, around through the like, outer city a little bit, then down a big canal. It's an out and back down, and then you come back, but you finish in the, in the Olympic Stadium. Oh, God. It is deadly. Chariots of fire stuff, you know? Yeah. <laughs> that's down, but you say that's your favourite then? I think that was my favourite, and I always said, any, I'm not, I'm not like, particularly fast as a marathon runner. Mm. But any time I was under 330 was a, was a great day for me. And that day was 329. Oh, and yeah. I remember just being delighted with myself yeah. for that, you know? Um, like over the course of your 114 marathons, like there must have been a few moments of madness and stuff that have happened. Um, just stuff you see or stuff that happens to you. Oh my God, there was some, there was some epic blow-ups. <laughs> like there was, a, like for, for about maybe two years, Every single marathon I ran, I was running like I was running marathons every weekend for right. the for, for the first oh my like God. <laughs> for, like twenty thirteen and twenty fourteen. It was pretty much every weekend. Like the most I did was something like thirty two marathons in one year. Right. And this is with a young family, a Fiona at home going, "Where are you going?" I'm be, "I'm off to bloody Connemara today or whatever <laughs> yeah. the hell it was going." Yeah. Like sometimes I'd be driving there that morning and driving back straight after the race. So like a marathon was nothing. So really. it was nothing. So there was oh, there's mad stuff going on. And some of the races, I just I'd literally take off like a hair, and I'd be banjaxed <laughs> after halfway. I'd be wrecked and wondering why. It's because I was running every bloody weekend, you know. Yeah. But um, no, I, I always remember the. Uh, the Belfast Marathon, and it's funny because it's quite recent. It would have been only two years ago. I think it was the first Belfast after the pandemic. There was a lot of Luska athletes that went into that. Yeah, yeah I remember. I think it was, yeah. it was. The, it was the first year that all the Lusk heads had done the, the training plans. Yeah. So everyone was like really, really g'd up for this. They were all go like really yeah. going for it. And I was kind of, I was in good nick, and I was like, I'm gonna, you know, I'll give it a go. I'll, I'll go with my usual and try and get under three thirty, you know. Yeah. And I was flying, I was having a great race. I remember bouncing along and I was like, this, this is brilliant. Had me tunes in, right? And I was, I was about 10 miles in and I was like, this is going great. Had me, my phone was, a, was in a, a running belt and it was like behind me back. So that's why I, I have my running belt on, but I have it twisted around to fit into the small of me back, you know? Oh, yeah. And I remember I had these brand new AirPods. And I was like, these are, these are really good, you know? So, so anyway, I'm about 10 miles in and I was trying to adjust the... Uh, the volume on my music. And somehow, I've got an iPhone, right? So somehow, I was after uh, hitting that emergency call button on your phone. You know, uh, do you know that if you hold down a certain button yeah, on your phone? Yeah, 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 yeah. So I'm running along anyway, and next thing, my phone starts dialing the number. So in the years, I'm hearing a, 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 a <laughs> dial tone. And next thing, I'm hearing this Northern Ireland 
voice gone, uh, emergency services, <laughs> what's your emergency? In your ear? Yeah, in my <laughs> ear. And I'm like, what the hell is going on? So, I, 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 so basically I was at the holding of that. Well, it was, it was held down in, that, in the running belt. And yeah, I, I, I was like shouting, no emergency, no emergency, it's okay. <laughs> Not knowing that I didn't have that. So when you're setting up your AirPods, obviously all the settings, I didn't have the setting where you can speak through your AirPods, oh, through yeah, your phone. Yeah. So there's all these randomers running around me. I remember Colin McNally was there taking me photograph. He had no idea what was going on. He was, he was just taking photographs. He was standing on the corner exactly when it happened. And the second later on, like, no emergency, no emergency. <laughs> so she so you're just shouting no emergency randomly to yourself. Just shouting. And people are looking, what the hell is your man doing? So next thing, anyway, a few years down the road, my phone keeps ringing and ringing and ringing. And I was like, I don't know what was going on. It was, it was <laughs> like, if, like it was, it was, they were, they were leaving missed calls. But then a police station in Dungannon or somewhere, I remember it, yeah, it was a man's voice this time. So th these people thought I was getting bloody murdered or something <laughs> during a marathon. So the emergency services had, had like dispatched a call to a local police station. The police station was ringing me to make sure I wasn't getting murdered. And I'm shouting, then, then I was like, maybe the AirPods <coughs> will understand if I, if I shout, uh, hang up. <laughs> no emergency, hang up, hang up. <laughs> then I was like, stop, stop, stop. <laughs> I was, every command I can think of just to hang up the bloody phone. And, and this went on for about like 15 So the emergency minutes. services are hearing, stop, stop. Uh, no I don't even know whether they were hearing me or not because <laughs> no. I don't think that uh, was connected. So I was just roaring these things out into the... <laughs> It was, and I ran by a bloody water station and I'm shouting stop and looking at the sky and all this. Oh boy. So needless to say, I... Were you wearing a lust vest at the I was time? wearing a lust oh, vest. no. I hit the wall like a ton of bricks. <laughs> After that, I just, my head just went. Right. My head just went, yeah. So like by halfway, I was gone. I was like, literally, all I could think about was there's probably going to be like police up here. Like, <laughs> oh my there. God. But that was it. No, they, they never, they never followed it up. <laughs> that's a mad, that's that's a mad stuff. Um, so, how did you get involved in the in the ultramarathon? Like what 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 is an ultramarathon for those who don't know? Okay, well, well, this is the thing, right? So, so officially, an ultramarathon is any distance over marathon distance. You know, so so technically, fifty k is an ultramarathon. Okay, but. When you're like all my mates that were running ultra marathons every weekend, they're all like, "Oh, I'm over." Geez, it has to be fifty miles to be considered an ultra. So, like, even like the Connemara Ultra, which was which was thirty nine point three miles, that wasn't in, in their eyes. That wasn't an ultra, right? So, like, I was like, "Well, what do you have to do to run an ultra?" It's like, it has to be over fifty miles and hundred miles and all this. But I had don't forget, I had my, my brother in law, like the um, my sister's partner Ivy. He was the one that was doing these races. So he was, and he was real blasé about it. So he'd be just. He'd just shrug and I'd be saying, what do I have to do to run this? And he'd be just, just run, like, just turn, turn up and run. Just don't stop. But like, yeah. the, 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 the way you get into it is, yeah, a marathon has to be easy for you to run. So like, you can't be racing a marathon every weekend and think you're just gonna move through the gears and just go into ultra running. Like, you have to run easier marathons right. as training. For yeah. the ultras, so like that, that's the way. This has to be comfortable. Has to be comfortable, yeah. yeah. And, and then, and then what happens is, as you, as you develop your training towards the bigger distances, you're using a marathon as, as a training run. You know, so you could be doing two marathons on a, on a weekend. You could be doing a Saturday marathon and a Sunday marathon, which is what I was doing regularly. 
my god yeah so like you it's, <laughs> ma- it's it sounds, sounds mad for back then and but it's even even now as well like you'd you'd gear your year so the way i was doing it was i'd i'd have let's just say you'd, you'd do dublin you'd find a marathon in somewhere in december then you'd do usually do another marathon then in january and then you'd have the donna 50k and then you'd use the donna 50k as your training run towards the connemara ultra marathon which was in uh april so that's like a marathon and a half right yeah, beautiful yeah. race beautiful race yeah but then you'd use that for your summer Anto Lee used to have this, uh, he still does actually, 100k race in, in Donaghy. So it's like the, a, a double. 20, 20 loops? Of, yeah, well, he used, to, he used to make the loops bigger so you'd have less loops to run, but yeah. it was carnage. And <laughs> he was doing a gym during a heat wave usually. 100k okay. used to be great crack. But you'd do that then as 100k would be your training run for a 24 hour race, which was the end of June up in Belfast. And then you'd have. Once you'd have your 24 hour race, you'd probably have then late in the summer, then the Connemara 100 mile. And I don't know if you can ask, do you have a favourite ultra? Uh, well, I reckon, I always said that the, the Connemara 100 mile was my favourite. But you see, I was, the, way, the way it happened with me with the ultras was uh, I had this really good year when I did like everything. And then I ran myself into the ground and I got myself completely injured. But I had uh, plantar fasciitis, had stress fractures in my bloody legs. So, like, it's the real case of too much. Yeah. So, like, I always say that the Connemara 100 was, was, me, it was, the, it was the best of being running with, with ultras. It was, like, it was, the, it was my favourite race from, a, from a, a competitive point of view. Because I wouldn't be one for... Like, all the marathons I ran, I've never, I'm not one for like top 10 positions or anything like that, you know? Yeah. But I somehow found myself, I found a niche maybe where I was, I was running these kind of, the longer races, I was actually quite comfortable. And I was, I found myself doing quite, you know, I was doing all right now. I wasn't, I was never going to win any of these. Mm. But like. Just solid, like. Solid running. Uh, yeah. The Connemara 100 was, I came toward. That's the only time I came anywhere. Wow. And I came toward. But it was it was a great race. But the beauty of that race was my sister and Ivy, her partner, the ones who got me running in the first yeah. place, they were my crew. So it was like my running like journey just went full circle. Full circle. With yeah, them, yeah, you know? yeah. And there was there was meltdowns mid race, there was there was projectile vomiting. So seventeen hours and forty seven minutes. Oh my god. And I, I finished think. before midnight, I was delighted with myself. You, uh, you mentioned DBRC there. You were uh, a member of that club for a few years. Um, what made you decide to uh, join Lusk in the end? Ah, well, like DBRC was, was, it was like a little family. Like DBRC is a, is a, is a lovely, it's a small club. Mm. So it's, it's like, it's nothing like the, the way Lusk has the, you know, Lusk has so much going for it. Like it has kids, it has like much more, far wider um, competitive uh, environment you know whereas dbrc was when it started especially was a a ragtag bunch of of just marathon runners who are just literally all we did was just drive all over and run a marathon as an ultras so like a lot of um the double american pacers all came from dbrc so like when they when they were like jerry copeland was the one who started the dbrc and like it's pretty much still the same now as it was then It's, it's a real family kind of club you know but uh it just, it was, it's a, it's a club based in Holt. Mm. 
and I live in Lusk, you know, so so I was just, I kept on, it made so much sense that my wife and kids were in Lusk and they were loving it. And then I had like loads of mates then that were in Lusk as well. And I was like, geez, it makes so much more sense for me to be in a, in, in my local club. Mm. When did you join? Uh, I was around the pandemic. I think it would have been around the pandemic. So probably around 2020. Yeah, yeah. Um, now, you don't train very, you know, you don't, you wouldn't be seen very often down the club on a Tuesday <laughs> or Thursday night, <laughs> says I. Uh, any particular reason why you wouldn't necessarily um, train with the, with the club or, or is it, what, what, what's, what's the matter there? Uh, the, the, there's a couple of reasons, right? So, so the main reason is I'm a lone ranger, right? So running wise, I'm just, I, I, I run by myself. I'm, I'm much happier. When I'm running with like a podcast in my years or bloody certainly not the emergency services in my years, <laughs> right. uh, the uh, audio book or whatever, whatever. I'm, I just go into my own little world when I'm running. Mm. So like, so I'm it's not, kind of a time for yourself, really. I, yeah, that's it. Like, and I do mm. run on my on my lunch break and work. And do, 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 like I used to always say, I used to say to Fiona all the time, she'd be going, I'm I'm training at seven o'clock tonight, and I'd be like, oh, how do you wait around all day? You know, you're sitting at home going, oh, geez, the thoughts are going training now at seven o'clock at night. Like, you know, mm. we'd be like, get it done in the morning time. Yeah, yeah. Get it finished. Like, I'd, I'd hate the idea of, of waiting to run and then and then getting yourself all worked and then coming home and then not being able to sleep and all this. Yeah. So, yeah, no, that's the main reason. But, like, I have, it, even though I am a lone ranger, like, Richard Richard Foy is is me, like, me best running board in the, in the club. And then you have Stephen Brennan. Um, you mentioned Dublin Marathon pacers there. Um, you're one of the uh, most famous pacers of Dublin Marathon, of course. Um, how did you uh, how did you get invited to become a pacer in the Dublin Marathon? Uh, the, the the Dublin Marathon pacing is it's something that was like back would have been around 20, 2013. I knew uh, there was a group of them that were that were like old school pacers. Um, from like the, Frank McDermott from EOI, like he was, he was, he was the one that got me into it, you know. And he, he, the way he, he, had, he was real old school. Oh, the way we used to do it and all this, you know. And he'd be telling me all these tales about um, like pacing the Dublin Marathon, holding one of these placards. Like he used to pace like say three thirty, right? But you'd hold up a placard with three thirty written on it, connected to a piece of wood that you'd have to hold up the whole <laughs> the whole marathon. There's photographs of it and all. I used to ask him, how do you become a pacer, like you know? And, like back then, like I think pacing has changed massively over the years, you know. But back then, pacers were were like the most experienced like runners, so they were almost expert runners. Mm. So like he used to always say to me, "Oh, you have to run like a hundred marathons and all this." And he, like he was he was he'd be kind of messing, but at the same time he was saying like that. It's you don't just turn up and go, "Oh, I want to be a pacer." Like it's like you have to earn. The right to the become right a... to be a pacer, yeah. So yeah. Like, it was all done through um, boards.ie back then, and like you had to get to know the guy and this fella who was doing it. You had to kind of send him a lot of messages, and then you had to give him all your times. And it, there was a lot of rigmarole to it, you know. And then, but, I, but did you want to become one? Or? I did. Yeah, yeah, I loved the idea of it. Uh, I think I, I, I paced the rock and roll half force, but that wasn't attached. There was nothing to do with the Dublin Marathon. But yeah. I think I, I wanted to see if I could do it, mm. and I did, and and. Uh, I, I got like before some 2014 was the first year I paced um, and that was 440 I paced so like you're not just going to jump in there and get like a four hour gig or a 350 or whatever you have to do the the hard like 440 is tough yeah really toughly 
Yeah, it's a long time out in the road. It's, a long, it's almost like doing an ultra marathon. Like you're wrecked. Imagine talking, talking for four hours and forty minutes. Yeah, I'd say you'd be all right at that. <laughs> <laughs> um, so your first marathon pace, when, when was that? Twenty fourteen, was it? That was twenty fourteen. Uh, right. Then after that, then Anto Lee, then uh, he's the Donna D fifty k race director, you know. But Anto took over the the organising of the pacers and like that little family kind of stuck together so Mm. all the paces it's pretty much there's been a few additions over the years but it's still the same the bones of the same team from back then that they're still doing it and why do you think what's changed about pay what do you think it's it's changed changed because these days every race like it doesn't matter how how big it is or how small it is or how short the distance is there's pacers everywhere and like i'm a real kind of a i probably would be a, a bit of a purist about it so like I'd feel that a marathon, yes, have pacers. Maybe even a half marathon. Mm. Maybe. But after that, then, I don't think there should be pacers. Anything below, certainly anything below um, a half marathon shouldn't have pacers. Like, it's just become this bit of a, I don't know, is it a crutch for, for some runners? But I don't know, like, I just don't think there's any need for it, really. You know, right. whereas, whereas I always, when, 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 you see the the paces like lined up for Dublin. You feel like that's a that's a proper team. <laughs> because you see in you see in the Dublin Marathon especially, um, the pacers are like mini celebrities for the day because everyone waits for them to come round. Oh, stop! Because everyone, crazy. you know, because I was watching last year and you just see the crowds got around the the three fifteen, the three thirty, the three forty. You know, mm. they're just you just. They come in waves and big gangs and it's yeah, yeah. like say for marathons especially pacing is p- pacers are the, probably the most important people yeah. out, out on the course people i'm telling you people stick to you like velcro yeah like it gets ridiculous like i'll give you an example right um one year i was i, I can't remember what i was pacing right uh i was running through the phoenix park and i was bursting for a whiz right Boring for a whiz, and right. I was running up the main avenue in the Phoenix Park, and I was like, yeah, with I, the big I, balloon, with the big balloon on me, right? <laughs> and I was like, I just can't. I, I wanted to duck in. I would have preferred to duck into the trees and have a whiz, but I was looking at the part. I just couldn't get in. I didn't have a chance. There was people, too many people, and I was bursting. I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm going to have to go somewhere. Mm. So we came out the gates, and we came out around by um, that cheer zone, you know. Uh, What's it called again? Castle Knock. Castle Knock, and I was like, I'm not gonna get a chance no. here. <laughs> so once you go past Castle Knock, right, you come, you go down, down this the big hill, hill yeah. to go back into the park. And I'm going down the hill, and I was like, "Fuck it, I'm gonna go. I'm just gonna run against it. There's the wall, the big long wall. That's <laughs> just right. Exactly. It's that's a quick part so of the run, yeah. You have like two other pacers with you, right? So I just Ollie is my was my pace partner. And I was like, Ollie, let's go for a ways back in a sec, and I just darted across, right? So I'm trying to go as quick as I could. There's people everywhere, right? Mm. And I look around, and there's about like sixty or seventy people jogging the spot beside, <laughs> waiting for waiting you, for me, <laughs> waiting for me. And I mean, they weren't standing; they were jogging on the spot jogging on the spot like i was like this is mad i was like the boy piper so you had to but then at this stage ollie's about 400 yards away yeah, from me yeah. so i had to sprint to catch back up with him so i have 60 people sprinting, sprinting with me I'm sorry excuse me pace are coming through like, oh my god oh and um do you prefer pacing or racing uh i'd i'd, I'd say definitely pacing yeah jesus yeah there's there's like that's probably what happened over the years that that I kind of uh, 
my racing kind of fell off because I'm, I'm, I'm a bit of a crap racer anyway, mm. <laughs> to be honest. Yeah. I'm not very fast, do you know what I mean? But I found that the, the pacing just suited me down to the ground. And do you feel like, especially at the Dublin Marathon, it's a bit of a pressure. Is it a, do you find, is it a bit of a pressure gig or do you enjoy pacing? Do you kind of, are you comfortable in it or do you feel a bit nervous going, oh, I don't want to let any people down? Or what's your feeling on the morning of a Dublin Marathon when you've got the pacing balloon? Do uh, you know it, it's it's it shouldn't be pressure. It should like you you every pacer who's who's whatever um, time they're running, it has to be the most comfortable pace. So like you shouldn't be under pressure running. Mm. If you're under pressure running the time you're, you're at, then you're at the wrong level. You should drop down. Do you know what I mean? So mm. you shouldn't be under pressure because you should be able to talk the whole way through. So like if I'm a three forty pacer, I have to be able to chat the whole way through. And it's mad because you get you get like different two different types of runner okay that that will run you get the people that who stick to you like velcro right and they want to chat to you and they're the ones that in the second half of the race they start faltering and you see them like johnny that was beside you yapping away for the whole first half suddenly he's has a gray face and he's starting to go backwards mm. and then there could be mary the girl who was listening to her music she didn't say a word for the whole first half and now she's alive and she's she's loving it so like the people who who think they can just chat their way through it are not gonna they're, they're gonna be under far more pressure than the ones who don't talk so basically talking is wasting an awful lot of energy like you're also involved in um <clears throat> this these east of ireland marathons um i know plenty of people in the club um have done them and have used the the one in lusk the famous one in lusk that used to be on the first week in or was it uh, usually on it was it's always first week in the first week of October first week in October, week of October as, a, October, as, a, yeah, yeah. as a as a prelude to the to Dublin Marathon uh, can you explain what the East of Ireland setup is and what kind of what inspired you to set this up right well I, I'd like to take the full credit for it but I can't because <laughs> it wasn't my idea it was Jerry Copeland for the DBRC Jerry Copeland and Frank McDermott it was their brainchild back in like 2013 they were the ones who were and and, and it was they were going traveling all over Ireland to marathons you know and there was there was very little marathons on and the marathons that were on would have been like the likes of Longford uh, Cork Belfast Dublin and the big entries, city, big city yeah, and they, like <clears throat> to the end of them, Martins even back then was was pricey enough. Do you know what I mean? Like pricey enough if if you just want to just run a casual marathon, right? So Jer and Frank's idea was, why don't we find some way of of sourcing? Like, so what do you need for for a race? You need medals, you need refreshments, obviously water, mm. uh, and you need a place to run. Okay, and also you need to be insured to run. On these places right so all these things add up um but if you do it the cheap way you don't have to charge an arm and a leg for for each race so you can you can do cheap races but people get like a really good racing experience still mm -hmm. and usually <clears throat> when it started back then when it started the people who would run were the experienced marathon runners so then i became involved shortly later um shortly afterwards i became involved to be uh they were basically using my personality to to, uh, to draw the people in. Yeah. So uh, I I've kind of seen changed. you in action on those EOI mornings. Oh man, it's it's been mad. But I, <laughs> I kind of changed things around, like as in I I brought a few ex new courses in. I brought Lusk in, which was an absolute game changer. Like mm -hmm. for example, the first Lusk race ever was twenty fourteen, and there was t I think there was twenty five marathon runners. 
and about 24 half marathon runners. That was it. Mm. There was no 20 mile race. There was no 10k. And then I was the one as, as, as kind of the years went on, it just like, it snowballed. And then I remember one, one year the Dublin Marathon was coming up and I was like, geez, wouldn't it be great to have a longer race than a half uh, for people who are training for Dublin? You know? So in other words, you have your marathon, you have your half marathon. Imagine having like a three quarter length marathon. And that just, everyone loved it. Everyone loved it. It was three laps of yeah. the Lusk course and it was yeah. bloody tough. It was tough, yeah. It was, it was tough. tough. It was a tough course. And, but um, I just remember people in the club, it's because it was, it was about three weeks out. Three weeks before, yeah. It was yeah. kind of your last yeah. long run and um, it was, uh, it was brilliant. Oh, like, it was great I remember somebody said to me, <clears throat> this guy, Stephen Connolly, he was a great runner, right? And, and, he was real scientific and I remember one, after one race he's like do you know that that 20 mile race he said if you uh, study the elevation on that three laps of, of the EOI course it's the exact same elevation as the entire Dublin Marathon oh, and I was okay. like Jesus baby it is I had no idea yeah, you know? yeah. so I used that as a selling point then the following year as <laughs> yeah. I was telling everybody I was like do you know that's the same <laughs> elevation and they're all like no way people's minds were blown like you know and I was like as if that matters but like I was like that's gonna be that's gonna stand to you now on, on marathon day like because you're exactly, gonna have yeah. but in fairness the amount of people as from the club especially people were bloody PB in left right and centre in Dublin and they're all saying that lost grace was so tough but that was what gave me the strength. I was like, well, we'll take that. Yeah, yeah good I'll selling. take the credit for a that. Good selling point. Yeah. And um, is, where is, is the East of Ireland, is it, is it still going now? Or where, where, what stage is it at now? Uh, it's still going all right, but it's, we're, we're on a bit of a break until we get this bloody insurance thing sorted out. Uh, as you know, after the, the pandemic, the insurance just went sky high for everybody, for every race. When we, we just have to get this, we have to get something sorted that we can have individual races instead of a year full of races where you're, where you're, it's, it's time consuming putting on just one race, but like at one stage we were putting on like 12 races a year or more. We should, Jesus, back in 2015, we had a... Uh, Huden, Clontarf midweeks and we, Staplestown. And yeah, Boston, we are having yeah. the midweeks on, but we did 10 marathons in 10 days. That was in 2014. So 10 marathons consecutively. And we had like people from all over, everywhere doing them. And then the following year then, that was the 10, the 10 Martins in 10 days was, was 2014. In 2015, as if 10 Martins in 10 days wasn't enough, we did 10 marathons in five days in Lusk. So like basically people, there's people from Italy came to run this, these races, <laughs> up and hold. So the way it was done was, like you could run individually if you want, but the whole draw of the, of the thing was that you're signing up to run 10 marathons in five days. So you start your first marathon at six o'clock in the morning, and then the rule is you have to be at the start line at two o'clock that day for your second marathon. And then there's a cutoff time, I think it was seven. God. But uh, yeah, so no, we, look, we, we will be back uh, when we get the insurance sorted out. Uh, in the meantime, I'm doing this thing on the page. I don't know whether you're on, you're on the um, Facebook page. I do a last man standing. Oh, I it's see, a little I challenging. See that, yeah. that, that's basically for people who, have, who, who lack motivation to get out and train every day. You know, it's the ones that are really finding it hard to get out. So mm. basically, every day on the Facebook page, I'll give a distance for these people to run. 
they go out and run it, they take a screenshot of their Garmin or whatever, mm. and they post it. And geez, that everyone's having having great fun doing. And it's it's geez, you should see that the mileage building up. Crazy, mental. Right, we'll have a qu- last. We'll just we'll be wrapping this up now. We'll but we'll have a little quick fire round. Um, let's see. You might have said this one already, but most exotic or memorable race. Ooh, uh, Stephen Brennan will love this one because uh, it was <laughs> he beat me. The old fecker, right? He beat me in this race. I'll, I'll give it to him. He did beat me. And it, it's called the Highland Fling in, in the Scottish Highlands. Right. And uh, it's a 53-mile ultra. I, it's on his favourite terrain now. It's bloody mountains, right? It's, it's, well, it's, it's in the Highlands. It's, it's along um, the, the Loch Lomond, uh, the coastline kind of of that. Beautiful place. What's a typical training week for you? How many Ks or miles would you, would you typically a run? A typical training week, okay, is... See, uh, around f- between 40 and 50 miles. I run in miles. Yeah. Um, favourite place to train? Uh, my favourite place to train is probably Torvi. Torvi Nature Reserve. Any uh, any race superstitions? Uh, not so much superstitions. I have, if anyone who knows me knows uh, that I never run without a hat on. <laughs> I don't know what the hell, I don't know what the reason for that is. is that, have you ever seen me run without a hat on? Favourite uh, post-race reward? Oh, come on. You're asking me that? <laughs> what, uh, what would for, you, for the listeners. What would you think that might possibly be? A couple of pints of zero, zero Guinness, maybe. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Before I go on to the real stuff. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, a few, uh, look, the, a few points is, is, it's lovely any time, but after a bloody marathon. Oh, geez. it's amazing. Yeah, the, yeah. Nicest, the nicest beer you'd ever have. Oh, um, yeah. And uh, any running goals for the rest of the year? No, uh, I'm not goals orientated. <laughs> no, I want to get myself to like, I want to pace the Dublin Marathon. I want to just have a good time, you know. I'm signed up for the Clonic Hilti Marathon. Uh, December, is it? That's around December. Every year it's on, it, there's a storm. Yeah. <laughs> it gets cancelled yeah. all the time. Like, yeah, so the, 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 the entry I have is from last year. Oh, right. Um, but so it, you, are you pacing Dublin? Pacing Dublin, yeah, I'm pacing 350. Lovely. 350, yeah. Okay, well, uh, listen, um, Gary, thanks very much for your time today and for joining us on the pod. Um, best of luck with your running for the rest of the year, and no doubt uh, you'll have plenty of Luskers hanging around the 350 balloon. Absolutely, um, and especially around the bar afterwards as well. <laughs> Great yeah. stuff, Gary. Uh, thanks very much again. It was a pleasure. Cheers. It was a pleasure. Thank you all for tuning in. We really appreciate your support and hope you enjoyed the show. I'd like to thank our guests, Katrina McKiernan and Gary Reinhardt, and all the team that are working on the Lusk AC podcast, Colin Brown, Julie Griffith, Nicole Hodson, Dwayne Moore, Sean Smith and Colin Wall. And I'd like to finish by wishing the very best of luck from Lusk AC to all the Irish squad competing at the World Athletics Championships 